everyone, and welcome into DC Talks Rocks. On this episode, just going to wrap up the season, the World Series, all that stuff pretty briefly here up front, and then get into a little bit of the talk about particularly the National League Gold Glove and measuring defense and, and that whole conversation. We'll see if I've got time for the American League stuff. I'll run through the NL a little more because, well, I know it quite a bit better. Uh, but yeah, we'll begin here with congratulations, I guess. Yeah, no, congratulations to the players, at least, of the Atlanta Ball Club. I've talked before about how and why this is weird in a number of ways. Like I said, in the year where the Cleveland Guardians and the Washington football team is still a thing and, and all of that, and even the fact that they had to move the All-Star game away from Georgia because of all the voting stuff and... You know, there's, there's all of that. So there is still baggage that comes with this, though in some ways, you know, you go, well, at least the Astros, who had cheated their way to one, and, you know, now, uh, God, this is it's really what it came down to. is why it was, in many ways, for me, just a tough World Series to watch, even though there's plenty of individual players uh, that I enjoy. Congratulations, of course, to Jorge Soler, who's a, a player I've kind of watched throughout his career pretty closely he's just a player type i really enjoy and these super athlete guys who for a while there looked like he wasn't going to live up to his potential then was doing some amazing things uh, huge acquisition obviously for atlanta this year and there are some interesting you know lessons to be learned out of the team that if they'd been in any other division in baseball they wouldn't even have made the postseason right there were several teams in the american league like seattle and Toronto that had better regular seasons. And if there was like open seating or something like that, right? If just every team in baseball, it was just, you know, first to whatever, however many teams are going to decide, make the postseason next year. And it was just based on your record. I didn't care at all about divisions or any of that stuff, right? Uh, it, then Atlanta wouldn't even have made the postseason at all, right? 88 wins pretty comfortably the lowest win total of anybody in the postseason. But as they show and prove once again, that's not really what it's about, is it? That oftentimes rosters built to or strategies built for 162-game seasons aren't necessarily going to pan out over a best of seven. And that's why getting to the dance really is that big a deal and why I think sometimes both fans and media and teams, whether it's we're talking about the Colorado Rockies or a lot of these other mid-market teams that are stuck in similar tough spots that want to, and I hear this question all the time, why can't we just build a roster that's dominant and competes like the Dodgers and, and does all of that? And Well, the answer is because you don't have the same number of resources. So if in trying to do that, any part of it goes wrong, you're crippled much more than they are. And so that's why I think it does make for a more valid and viable strategy for teams like the Rockies to try to be the, the Atlanta Braves. We've talked about it before, the Washington Nationals or the Kansas City Royals, teams that don't win 100 games or even come close to winning 100 games in the regular season because they're not stacked with quite that much talent. They've just got enough talent and all the right spaces and it all comes together well enough. We saw the Giants almost pull it off also this year. You know, really two teams that made deep postseason runs, one that went all the way, that weren't really 
built to be juggernauts. Oddly enough, the Giants turned into one, and that was pretty wild. But Atlanta is the far more reasonable approximation here, right? Because 88 wins is not that far away. That's one more than the Rockies had in 2017, right? Now, obviously, they're, you know, they get out in the wild card that year, swept in the DS the next year. You still got to do the thing once you get to the dance, and it definitely feels different when it goes the other way. But this is what can happen. You've got to give yourselves as many shots at it as possible. And with the expanded postseason, that's why I do think it makes sense for the Rockies to try to go out. And even though I still think probably a transitional year next year, if they play the offseason just right, they could be one of those teams that's an 81-win team on paper. Few things go their way. They end up winning 85, which could get you in the postseason next year. It's only a few shorter than what we're talking about here with Atlanta, and then all kinds of things can happen. No, I'm not saying the Colorado Rockies are going to win the World Series next year. Let's all calm down. But it, it again, it, it is a reminder that as much as everybody wants that 100-win team on paper, that 95-plus win team that you know you really feel like are World Series contenders, I feel like baseball just keeps showing us over and over and over again that a World Series contender is anybody that makes the postseason. And so I, I hear people oftentimes sigh or, or get really frustrated. They, they think that the Rockies' goal is to win 88 games or 89 games, that they're accepting mediocrity. And I think it's just more being realistic. Unfortunately, they've fallen short of that over the years, right? That's been the big issue. It's like, so uh, I'll be very interested to see, you know, what happens in the Bill Schmidt era and, and how he tries to attack that. But uh, of course, big shout-outs for Tyler Matzik. Talked all about him on a recent episode of why people need to stop with turning that into a negative. You know, the short version of it is just if you're turning the Tyler Matzik story into a negative thing about the Rockies, you have got a far more negative Rockies bias than y- you realize. That's that's all that is. That's just working backwards uh, from the all-encompassing premise that everything the Rockies do is rotten, which is just nonsense, and the facts there don't bear that out. But uh, Walt Weiss, Eric Young, very exciting to see some former Rockies uh, get rings and and experience the the big victory there. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff all the way around. You know, I I sent this out on Twitter, and I'll just repeat it here because it's Odd, but this really is the first time in my life that I'm just relieved the season is over, obviously, with everything going on with me. You know, it was tough to watch this postseason. And, you know, it, it's it's tough, honestly, to just watch sports right now. It's just this kind of constant reminder of, you know, what I'm no longer doing or whatever. But And I'm trying to – I'm going to recover from all this. I'm going to come at it with the positive attitude Uh that you know me for, but it was difficult to fully invest in a lot of these baseball games. Um, and then for reasons I've talked about also just not being particularly attached to any of these teams or the state of baseball right now. And then, yeah, for the, for the personal reasons of just for the first time in a long time, I I feel like I need a break from the game. I'm still going to keep, you know, doing these, podcasts i'll find elements of the team that i'm excited to talk about or elements of the game that i'm most 
passionate about, and that's how I'll, I'll keep the baseball conversation going for a while. Uh, so I'm, I'm always down to talk baseball, honestly, but in a weird way, I just felt like I just couldn't, I just can't watch right now. I just need a break from watching baseball games and thinking about baseball games. So good timing for me, I guess. Um, I'm sure in a week or two, maybe a month, I'll be right there again, counting down the days to spring training and, and be gearing back up for it again. But for now, I'm happy that I get to give just my mind a, a, a bit of a rest from consuming and analyzing baseball games. Uh, but like I said, still going to keep going with articles. Dropped another article today. Make sure you're checking out all the written content on the Patreon uh, about the Rockies offseason on day one. So go and check that out. And uh, yeah, all right, let's move over to the other topic of conversation for this one. And that is Gold Glove in the National League. Of course, you know where I'm going to focus, but let's run through the other stuff very quickly. Here at Pitcher, nominated Zach Davies for the Cubs, Max Freed for Atlanta, and Zach Wheeler of the Phillies. That all looks correct to me. This is something I'll say in the future that I think in a healthy year, uh, Kyle Freeland is going to at least get nominated for one of these. He's really, really good off the mound. Uh, he hasn't really been able to put it all together in one season just yet. But I think with a healthy season, that's something we could see for the Rockies in the future is Kyle Freeland nominated for a gold glove on the mound. At catcher, you got to love, um, I'm sure there are some people that don't, but Yadier Molina still doing it at his age. I said it. Uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals, you got JT Real Muto, of course, of course, for the Phillies. But honestly, the guy who should win it, the uh, by DRS, the second best defender all around in the National League this year was Jacob Stallings of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And at one point he was putting up just some absurd numbers. And I'm not a big guy on, you know, numbers behind the dish, especially, but it, it all bore out when you watched him play as well. So it'd be cool to see Jacob Stallings win that. Uh, it would also still be cool to see Yadier Molina get his whatever 47th gold glove behind the dish. He really is the best defensive catcher in baseball history. Check out the, Foolish Baseball YouTube videos. He's absolutely fantastic. Associated with uh, John Boy and them as well. But uh, he does one. He's got some good stuff on the Rockies, by the way, as well. Check those out. But his video on Yadier Molina is absolutely fantastic. At first base, Frederick Freeman of the Atlanta Ball Club. Paul Goldschmidt of St. Louis. And... Maximum Muncie? Really? Uh, okay, sure. I know he had a pretty good year. I've never thought of him as a fantastic defender, but I went and looked at all the stuff. Okay, uh, again, first base is like catcher, one of those ones that's weird to try to measure with numbers because a lot of what's important at first base is like digging the ball out of the dirt and being a reliable guy over there and statisticians have had a very difficult time measuring that or determining that it has any value whatsoever, which to me just seems very counterintuitive. But more research, I think, just needs to be done at both of those positions in terms of how to best measure it. Uh, that said, it's not like there are any egregious, off the top of my mind, you know, emissions here at first base. Second base, Ozzie Albies, Atlanta cleaning up defensively. No wonder they were so good. That explains uh, some things, and that's perfectly reasonable. Tommy Edmond with St. Louis and Colton Wong. Uh, that one's really interesting because Colton Wong has won this 
uh, a couple years in a row, chance to win his third. Uh, but of course, the last couple that he won were with St. Louis. He leaves, goes to the Brewers, gets nominated. And like in our situation out here in Colorado, the guy that takes over in St. Louis, Tommy Edmond, also gets nominated. So that'll be a fun thing to, to see play out between some division rivals in Milwaukee and St. Louis. At shortstop, you've got Brandon Crawford of the Giants again, Francisco Lindor of the Mets, which seems a little of a reach to me, and then Kevin Newman of the Pirates is one of those guys I feel like I always forget. And I go, oh, yeah, he's really, really good defensively. Um, you know, I, I do think that this is probably Brandon Crawford's to win, though some of the numbers really do like Lindor. Uh, we'll, we'll see which get way it goes, but uh, DRS doesn't love Lindor. Uh, anyway, in the outfield, uh, left field should be Tyler O'Neill's in a walk for St. Louis. David Peralta was one of the weirder ones that I saw. He was fine this last season, but he didn't even put up as much DRS as like Rymal Tapia and stuff, A.J. Pollock as well. Um, those were kind of strange choices to me. De decent UZR and you know, they've, they've got a little more defensive history in terms of acumen. I could make the argument that Raimel Tapia, because they do now, it's not even just outfielders. It's just left fielders. By DRS, he was better than two of the people that were nominated here. That said, how big of a deal is it anyway when it's just, it should be Tyler O'Neill's. He should win this comfortably. Center field. Comes down to Harrison Bader of St. Louis, Brian Reynolds for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and a Jackie Bradley Jr. of the Brewers. Jackie Bradley Jr. better hope he wins it because, dude, can't. Yeah, these guys are all um, actually, well, Bradley and Bader are pretty light hitters. Brian Reynolds has a decent year with the bat, not that it should matter. Bader's been pretty fantastic defensively for a while. Uh, he led comfortably in DRS uh, with 15. Bradley being second with nine, in my estimation, Bader should win that. And in right field, Mookie Betts, Adam Duvall, Mike Yastrzemski, who cares? No, Adam Duvall actually is my pick for who should win that pretty comfortably. Then we go over to third base and what everyone wants to hear about, and it's Manny Machado who can just get right on out of this conversation. And uh, I don't know how he took – actually, what would have been really interesting, I don't know how Cabrian Hayes was left out of this. It should have been – that way and cabrian hayes honestly of the of the pirates has an honest argument to win the gold glove at third base far more maybe than any of these guys certainly the manny machado but manny getting in here really does turn this into a two-man race between nolan arenado and ryan mcmahon and it's going to be really fascinating because this basically comes down to how much do the voters care about these new defensive metrics that they are using to decide who even gets nominated and that, you know, have, are really supposed to be a much bigger part of everything we're doing on the award scene because Ryan McMahon was not just number one in DRS at third base. He was number one in DRS across the board in all of baseball. Nobody saved more defensive runs than Ryan McMahon. Nobody put up a higher baseball reference defensive war at any position than Ryan McMahon. What's holding him back? Two potential things. One, he didn't play quite as many innings, so he could have run away with those distinctions even more, though he has twice as, he's doubled Nolan Arenado in DRS, just at third base with 12 to Arenado six. 
You know, we're not even counting the fact that Ryan McMahon has more defensive runs at second base than any of the guys who was nominated for a gold glove at second base. And the fact, actually, that Ryan McMahon played fewer innings than Nolan did and still doubled him up in DRS just makes it that much more impressive because DRS is a counting statistic. And the more you play at a particular position, the higher it can go. And conversely, the less you play, if you're not playing, you, you can't accumulate it, right? So by the numbers, Ryan McMahon should not only win the gold glove at third base, he should win, you know, platinum gloves and fielding Bible awards for being the best defender in the National League this year. But then you've got that group of voters and that mentality of Nolan Arenado's the best defender maybe of all time at third base, and he just is, and that's not wrong. It's not wrong. He's won eight in a row. Should it be nine? And is all of that built-in momentum and understanding and just kind of franchisement of Nolan Arenado going to win out in the end. And sadly, I think that it probably will. You know, especially in a sport that has a long history of, you know, the younger guy's got to earn his spot. Like, someone's got to knock him off of there, right? It's kind of why Troy Tulowitzki didn't win the gold glove at shortstop in 2007, because he was just a rookie. And Jimmy Rollins, he'd been kind of an institution at that point. So you give it to him, because he had a pretty good defensive year. And Tulo had one of the best defensive seasons of all time. But he was a kid. We got a similar thing going on here with Ryan McMahon. I do think the electorate has changed a bit. I, I think that dynamic has changed some, but probably not quite enough for him to overcome it. I hope so. I really do, because I know all it's counterintuitive. And there are lots of things that don't get measured in the numbers. And you can honestly say, you know, uh, Nolan Arenado still does stuff that is just so creative and so intuitive and so different than what anybody else does and, and i've said it before he kind of reinvents the position on a bi-weekly basis and ryan mcmahon you know didn't really do a ton of that he's just a more athletic defender who was everywhere and made every single play you know didn't really do anything we've never seen before he just did everything extraordinarily well all season and it bore out if you watched him play and when you look at the statistics, and for the first half of the season, it was also true that when you watched Nolan Arenado play defense and looked at the statistics, they were matching up with, he didn't have a great first half of the year. He really turned it on in the second half and was doing Nolan things. Again, it should remi just reminding you who the hell he is. And he earned his spot, absolutely, in these nominations, but he didn't, it's a single season award. It's not about legacy. We're not voting for the Hall of Fame right now. We're not voting on who's the best third baseman in all of baseball overall or who do we expect to be the best defender next year. Who had the better year with the glove in 2021? Ryan McMahon. Not just at third base, but in all of the National League. He was the best defender out there, the most valuable defender out there. That ought to be honored with gold. Thank you all for listening into this episode. You've been absolutely awesome. Please spread the word about the Patreon. Keep subscribing, letting people know how much fun we're having here, where they can get Colorado Rockies talk from somebody who's been covering and following the Colorado Rockies basically my entire life. So I appreciate you all out there. Keep being absolutely awesome. I'll keep being absolutely Drew Priestman in here. And until next time, 
I will see you at the ballpark.